Welcome to Interiors and Sources, I Hear Design Podcast. I am staff writer Adrienne Thompson, and today I wanted to discuss a topic that has been circulating discussion boards for the last few years, and that is gender-neutral or more inclusive bathrooms. Whether you're for them, against them, or remain neutral, we uh, can't deny that the topic has spiked in popularity over the last few years. It has also started a movement for businesses as well as architects and designers to create more inclusive restroom spaces and public areas that emulate a safe and comfortable environment for everyone who use them. So I know uh, public bathroom design is one sector that I personally don't hear about often enough in comparison to hospitality projects or office projects, retail, restaurants, and so on. So today I asked Lita Lewis to join me in on this discussion. Lita is a designer with a passion for well-being design, research, and thought leadership, and is currently a director with the Washington, D.C.-based firm of Wingate Hughes. She was also the official winner of Sloan's 2018 Restroom of the Future Design Challenge, um, which had competitors reimagine the commonly used but rarely designed bathroom space. Um, If you followed the coverage, you will have seen her rendering on both online and in our magazine last year. She used a variety of Sloan products um, in her rendering, which incorporated a gender-neutral design that also took a variety of health and welfare concerns into consideration as well. So, Lita, thank you for joining us today to discuss what some might consider a cautious topic, but one that needs to be talked about. Thanks, Adrian. Happy to be here. Great. So, you know, let's just get started with the basics to give listeners a better picture of what we're talking about. Simply put, how would you des- you define what a gender neutral, excuse me, gender neutral bathroom is? Kind of getting tongue tied with that. Well, a gender neutral bathroom is pretty simple to explain. It's just one where our traditional separation into facilities one for one gender for male and one for female, and even the separate but uh, what I would call unequal provision of gendered restrooms with the addition of a single private occupant restroom have been eliminated. Um, The origins of gender separated restrooms aren't actually as rooted as some may believe. Um, They were generated by the introduction of women into the workforce, so diversity breeds innovation. Um, And the first gender separated restrooms were in Paris in 1739, with Massachusetts passing laws for the provision of women's restrooms in 1887, with most other states following suit by 1920. The separation of genders in restrooms is currently upheld by modern building codes and regulations. However, these regulations developed at their core as a response to the need to provide health, safety, and welfare for occupants have instead sometimes worked against those same elements when it comes to health and restrooms. And the newest IBC codes are relaxing these regulations in response to those needs and, frankly, to public demand. So it's interesting how, you know, this trend is something that has already occurred in the past, but because of these regulations and health and safety concerns, it has instead, like you said, worked against a more inclusive bathroom environment. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's tied to a number of health concerns. And so uh, as codes are designed exactly for health, safety and welfare, um, as more and more diverse populations have spoken up, they're, you know, they're listening, they're responding to those needs. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, just going through this history, how does the design of what a typical restroom might look like in comparison to what a more inclusive bathroom might look like today? Sure. Well, I think we're all familiar with the standard setup. Um, Certainly designers are. Two rooms, back to back, really differing only in a label on the door, and maybe the provision of a handful of urinals instead of standard water closets. Um, Contrary to what some guys might believe, it's not that much different than the women's restroom. Um, Occasionally there might be a single gender, single occupant restroom, um, and those are installed mostly more in response to a need to provide ADA accommodations than inclusivity. Um, and I don't find much much pushback when I pose the idea that the current typical facility design is pretty inadequate when it comes to providing privacy in a space that we pretty much want as much as possible. Right. <laughs> Metal partitions with huge gaps between above and below panels, really bad acoustics, and really not a great ability to gauge whether or not you're really in a private space is pretty typical. And so even though children's books tell us early on that everybody poops (laughs) and (laughs) restrooms could sort of be thought of as amenity spaces, which we all use, um, restrooms are usually built like tanks for durability and little thought to anything else. So if we try and do gender neutral facilities, they can take many forms. If you're doing it from the outset, so you got a clean slate. Uh, It's as simple as just changing this into a design for function rather than gender. So restrooms at their core are places for sanitary elimination, hand washing, sometimes filtered water access. You can find those bottle fillers and other things associated with the restrooms and sometimes a bit of a check in the mirror. Uh, um, Some of those activities are ones that require privacy and other ones don't. So if you instead design for function, stalls for some activities, commonality for some others, like using the sink or getting some filtered water, the simplicity of the problem becomes like glaringly apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, we can provide two basic types of facilities. One is the single occupant restroom, but I would say instead of providing one in addition to um, multi-gender restrooms, you just provide only single occupant restrooms, one room with a toilet and a sink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this way, everybody has the same access. Right. Um, but it's really great. You don't actually have to be starting from scratch or proposing a gut and redo to improve the inclusivity of facilities. Um, I was all gung-ho for we should all do <laughs> gut and redo. But um, I've had discussions, many discussions about this topic with Dr. Ted Etienne of uh, Kaiser Permanente. Um, And he's someone who's really tied into the Transgender Law Center and obviously as a doctor, very tied into health issues. And it really just is too important of a physical and mental health issue not to try and address immediately. And you could do that with simple, simple changes. Um, First, just change the signage. Um, If you start looking online at the debate in signage, it gets really funny really fast. There's all kinds of weird little stick figures that people are proposing (laughs) to be on the sign. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen some interesting ones, but I've also seen some really clever ones too. Yeah, you can get whole families of things on these (laughs) signs going. but if, if you want to keep it simple, if you want to keep it um, really minimal, all you really need to do is say, again, this is a place for a particular function. So you label it bathroom or water closet or shower room um, and just make sure you have the appropriate 
braille and other things to make sure that you're accommodating the rest of the code. Um, in addition to that, you can look at, make sure that you have all of the water closets and urinals in a stall. So just build a few stalls perhaps around the urinals and then minimize the partition gaps. If your partitions are in bad shape, you can look at replacing these with some manufacturers make very zero sight line gap uh, partitions or there's simple retrofit kits, either metal or rubber, that can eliminate some of those gaps quickly, easily, over a weekend renovation. Not a huge uh, capital investment. Mm -hmm. You know, going over all of the traits that you've talked about, just things that I think about too, bathrooms, I mean, even thinking of bathrooms I used in high school, bathrooms I used in airports, they don't feel private. You feel like, it, like you said, I mean, acoustically, it just emulates all the noises that we don't want people to hear. Um, and going off of that, I mean, we're discussing what some are calling gender neutral or more inclusive bathrooms. But as someone who has who, you know, identifies as female and uses a female restroom, that the entire idea of the traits of a gender neutral, neutral bathroom also just sound like something I personally would prefer over a standard design of what we see. And I think that's typical anytime we're des designing for more diverse needs. It's not just the most diverse need that's brought this up and brought it to the fore that benefits. It's really all of us. I mean, the current restrooms are not really near and dear to everybody's art. They're, they're ready right. for some redo. <laughs> and, right. And I mean, it, it really just kind of leads you to the question that's been what really just spikes this topic. And it's what are these misconceptions that you see in relation to these types of bathrooms? Oh, there's quite a few. <laughs> um, there's four major ones that I can, I can talk about and um, I get on a tear with this. So, you know, <laughs> interrupt <laughs> me at any time. Um, Go for it. <laughs> one, one big misconception is that this isn't a serious health or human rights issue. Um, in fact, lack of safe toilet access can lead to kidney infections, urinary, urinary tract infections, and a lot of stress-related conditions. Uh, the Human Rights Act of 1998 protects the privacy and dignity of gender-variant ind individuals, and this means that they're also protected from being misgendered or from being made to use what we would quote call the, the wrong toilets. Um, in the US, OSHA actually has a publication called the Guide to Restroom Access for Transgender Workers that requires that all employers under its jurisdiction provide employees with sanitary and available toilet facilities so that employees won't suffer the adverse health effects if you delay using the restroom. Um, and available in part means that it's really easy to access them. When you have single occupant, gender neutral spaces, someone really might be waiting quite a while to use that. Um, in April 2015, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission ruled that a transgender employee cannot be denied access to the common restrooms used by other employees of the same gender identity, whether or not they were assigned that identity during birth, at birth, or have had a medical procedure to identify with that. Um, that gender, and actually ruled, in addition, that denial of access to these facilities corresponding with gender identity, your self-generated um, uh, gender identity, constituted direct evidence of sex discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So it's a, it's a pretty serious um, health and human rights issue. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another misconception is that provision of these facilities creates a safety issue, that mixing genders in restrooms will lead to assault, and furthermore, that this violence will be instigated by those not identifying with heter heterosexuality. Unfortunately, this denies the, the real problem that the current provision of gender-separated restrooms is already a source of safety concerns that often go unrecognized. Um, while many of us don't give a second thought to our ability to safely access a public toilet, it's not uncommon for people in the LGBTQ community to experience fear or anxiety when it comes to using public toilets. Uh, people don't always outwardly project the typical characteristics of the gender which with, with which they identify. Um, and that can lead to situations where people are asked to leave washrooms, are stared at, are made to feel ashamed, are forced to reveal protected information about identity in which restroom they access, um, mm -hmm. or at its worst, even violence. Um, unfortunately, uh, 2015, uh, transgender survey of 28,000 trans individuals found that when they were forced to choose between male or female restrooms, so weren't provided the option to use a gender neutral restroom, 48% of transgender people sometimes avoided using the restroom entirely, and 11% always avoided using ones because they were just afraid of confrontations. I mean, that's about one in two people then are turning away from using what is a natural thing that needs to be done? And one, in, so I mean, 48%, one in two people are walking away not using the restroom. Yeah. I mean, more than half. It was over 60, over 59% of those respondents just avoided it entirely. 32% um, limited the amount they ate or drank. So they're either fasting or not getting the necessary liquids and water to maintain normal body function just to mm -hmm. avoid needing to use the restroom. 8% had a urinary tract or kidney infection because of it. And 70% of transgender and gender nonconforming um, people in DC, where I'm based, um, experienced issues in gender using gender specific restrooms. And 54% over half reported adverse health effects as, as a result of that avoidance. It's it's pretty serious. Yeah. I mean, just those statistics right there show you the significant impact on on that community specifically. But, you know, it, it does impact a wide audience. And it's just crazy to put it in numerical value and to see it like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you raise a good point. It's not just a transgender issue. I mean, um, restrooms are sensitive spaces with the need to provide accommodations for comfortable facilities for a range of needs. So if you're caring for a dependent of a different gender, you might have an elderly parent. My own grandfather had Alzheimer's in his later years. Or if yeah. you're caring for a young child or an even an older child, particularly if they have, as some of my friend's children do, um, developmental disabilities, at what point can you enter the bathroom of a different gender with them or not? Um, this can avoid participation and make you avoid participation in community life or going out with friends because you simply can't be uh, assured of being able to access the facility you need. And mm -hmm. the elderly population is increasing out of proportion to that of the younger uh, population. So, and that's worldwide. So this is just going to become more and more prevalent. 
you could also have a medical condition. You could have a religious reason or a cultural reason that you want to have a bit more privacy in the restroom. Um, there's, there's just so many reasons that people can benefit from this kind of design. So I totally agree. And I mean, going off of that, children, you know, at what age do they get, you know, following parents into the restroom? It gets confusing for people of all ages to sometimes know which one to go in. So going off of these numbers and just knowing the impact for what it's how it's affecting certain populations and just how it also impacts everybody. Um, we know the numbers. We know the implications. So what are the benefits of providing inclusive bathrooms within a space? Um, it's, it's in short, <laughs> a physically and mentally healthier population. Um, I mean, hope I've already we've already convinced all your listeners too that this isn't just a, a niche issue. Um, we are having we're seeing a big push for a lot more uh, knowledge and accommodation for a wider spectrum of diversity in the workplace. And it's not just about diversity, it's also about the inclusivity. How do you include those of different backgrounds into our public spaces? And as the idea of designing our work, life and play spaces and the facilities that surround and sort of host them meets a population increasing in gender, cultural and generational diversity, the idea of designing for the average human which is all too often young, white, male, westernized, and privileged becomes even more and more absurd. So we're going to see, uh, even myself, there are some points of diversity that I'm aware of, and there's other ones that I'm not, because I'm not part of those diverse groups. And I think it's going to be make all of us, again, much more physically and mentally healthier as we understand what we can learn from those more diverse populations. Right. And I, I mean, even just listening to the things that you've told me and what we've discussed so far, I've definitely been, I feel like my eyes have been opened up more to the topic and how important it is for everyone and the simple things we can do to get there. Um, and going off of that, you know, what are some details that both designers and architects, because it does take both teams in the A&D field um, to incorporate and make these restroom facilities feel more comfortable? Oh, yes. And as you mentioned um, at the outset, that Sloan Design Competition provided me with the both the excuse and the opportunity uh, to try and put a lot of my ideas on the topic to the test of actually putting pen to paper. Um, my focus on and passion for well-being design, which is for me a way, it's all about finding ways to design not just efficiently and without harm, but also to find ways to really use the built environment as a vehicle to care for people, I think had me reading and responding to the brief in ways that reflect that passion and maybe were not quite what they were expecting, um, but they loved <laughs> in the end. Um, when they were asking, for example, about areas we thought might be part of a future code compliance, my mind went to questions of air and water quality, lighting quality, and cultural accommodation. So filtration of air with MERV-13 and carbon filtration will improve both olfactory comfort, but also health. <laughs> um, designing for comfort through radiant and displacement HVAC systems rather than overhead forced air will actually improve infection control and how it um, leads through um, air quality and air passage back to the return. And increase in thermal comfort in these areas 
could possibly be the most important area for us to have thermal comfort. You know, you're a little exposed. <laughs> um, lighting quality too, with high CRI, which is color rendering index valued lighting can allow for us to better assess our health through identifying irregularities and irregularities in the color of your skin or waist discoloration. It's one of the few times that you actually get a chance to look in the mirror in good light and say, am I flushed? Am I jaundiced? What's going on? And different cultures, as anyone who's traveled through Asia, for example, can attest, um, use different waste receptacles, which are arguably better in ergonomics, or can use bidets or health sprays um, for increased sanitation in the restroom. Um, safety. So we talked about how sometimes one of the misconceptions about these restrooms can be safety, but you can actually increase that through the provision of single occupant stalls. I propose the provision of relatively high opacity glass towards the real rear of a stall wall uh, placed without sight lines to neighboring occupants, which could then, if you couple it with occupant controlled independent stall lighting and exhaust, um, you could not just use those occupant controls for energy efficiency, but because you could see through that sort of translucent glass whether or not the lighting was on or off, or whether you can hear whether the fan is on or off, you can tell if somebody's in the stall next to you. And before you enter the common area, if you put a little shielded peephole, <laughs> not just on your apartment door, but on the stall door, now you have the option to check to see if there's anybody outside before you leave the stall. Um, and making restroom facilities more comfortable for me is also a, a question of beauty. <laughs> because we all use restroom facilities, um, they're a prime area for property managers and owners to invest funds to improve not just the function, but also the look and feel of the facility. Um, I proposed using super graphic patterning at the rear of the facility, artistic painted tiles or highly decorative wall covering within the back of the stall and a myriad of lighting sources so that you could improve visual interest. And then I also wanted to put um, low light loving uh, overhead suspended plants because biophilia really is something that reduces our stress and increases our health. Um, and so those could be fed by the overhead general lighting and then also fed by a gray water system that recycles the sink water into water that feeds the plants and in turn feeds us. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at your rendering here that we put in our magazine last year, and it was, I loved it, um, especially the biophilia elements. That is one of my favorite trends that I hope never goes away, is just incorporating green into a space because it definitely makes me instantly happier. Um, and so, Lita, where do you see, do you, where do you see this trend going? Do you see it staying? Do you see it being a prevalent topic? Where do we see more inclusive bathroom design heading in the future? Uh, I, I mean, I think the, the time for non-inclusive facilities of many different types, many different sort of variants is coming to a close. Again, with increased diversity means increased voices calling out all the things that can be better and push us in new and interesting directions. And the more we learn about those populations, the more we'll probably see, as we do with uh, inclusive restroom facilities, that there's, you know, we could do better in some of these areas and how we design them in ways that I'll definitely like, um, even if I'm not part of that um, more diverse community. Um, I also definitely look forward to the days of me walking into a battleship style <laughs> cramped 
ill-lit, acoustically tragic restroom <laughs> that's made for me to perform some of the most sensitive activities of the day just going away <laughs> and having a lot more of them be much more beautiful much more sensitive acoustically with better lighting incredible materials and just really great celebrations of how we can provide opportunities for restoration at care yeah to totally agree and I just want to thank you for your time sharing your thoughts and your research behind the topic. I hope everyone listening um, learned a little more and can take these thoughts um, forward into making more inclusive environments and more inclusive designs going forward. So thank you, Lita, for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. And I look forward to seeing what everybody else comes up with. Yes. And for everyone listening, um, if you ever find that this topic relates to you and you want to share an idea or a project that you think um, fits along with this theme, please feel free to share through our website um, at interiorsandsources.com. And until next time on I Hear Design, we'll see you then.